Robot in the Garden, Volume Machine. Uh, this is commentary Volume Machine Learning, and it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day! Um, great to be a father. Um, <clears throat> the author says webcams are starting to wire eyes, giving expansion to our personal space and time envelope. And uh, you know, it seems like webcams have been around for a long time. I remember in the '90s seeing some. Uh, they had slow frame rates, low um, pixel count, but uh, it uh, um, now with Zoom, it, you have um, webcam capability for the consumer, um, allowing for tele networking, and so they are. It's filling our personal space, um, and we're able to cover large areas of distance in cyberspace and allow communication to occur in uh, either 2D and with some of the new virtual reality they're translating using a couple of cameras uh, imaging in 3D so you have almost like <clears throat> not quite holographic uh, imaging but uh, you could have uh, definitely 3D imaging of the other person over cyberspace. It's real interesting. Um, I was looking at uh, some new technology with scanning where they're using AI to retrieve uh, the images on a page and so they're able to um, effectively with multiple cameras take picture of the page, uh, correct for the curvature of the book and uh, as it's being open and extract out different words into text and incorporate uh, text and and uh, also images. So it's uh, it, the world we live in now is becoming definitely more digital. Um, the cyberspace of the net operates more or less independent of physical space, terrain, or geography. And the built landscape means, meaning cyberspace attempts to symbolize reality in virtual. The World Wide Web provides inexpensive and ready access to the global computer network. And so the web, you know, if it's, uh, it's like the mark of the beast, you know, it's, it's everywhere. And uh, in order to do commerce um, in the future, you have to have some sort of authentication. And as more um, information goes to the web, such as your banking transactions and also your purchases with the spread of uh, Amazon and, uh, and its uh, increased usage of e-commerce, then it really will be like the mark of the beast in the sense that it, it will, uh, you cannot do commerce without having some sort of access point to the web. Web cameras have on an interpretive aspect bridging the gulf between reality and virtual reality um, and we've seen this with some of the new technology that they're able to take uh, 2d imaging and with two different cameras and using uh, either a form of deep learning or some sort of GAN networks are able to build a 3d map of the uh, person People all over the world are able to keep in touch with anyone, everyone electronically. Goldberg says, our minds expand to all parts of the universe, supposing the world to produce by our mind 
but how does the mind justify reality? Descartes' skepticism possessed the possibility of deception, stating, since senses can malfunction, all information about the body and external world is intrinsically unreliable. One thought is that reliability is established through rational justification. Yeah, and you see that with deep fakes. Um, you know, the the character behaves and reacts uh, like the person that's being analyzed, but it's displaying as another person, like they raise their eyebrows, move their mouth. Uh, one of the weaknesses of deep fakes is when they, you take a side profile and you rotate the head, the deep learning network is not... Um, trained on 3d modeling so it can there's distortions in the pixelation that occur but if they do 3d morphine to a generic anthropological man say adam uh and then they which they've had before with holographic imaging they've had to be able to do that uh the deep fakes are going to become more and more deceptive. so you can't necessarily believing is not what you see seeing is not believing conventional philosophy the abandoned estimology declaring there must be something wrong and with the view the mind has as having only an indirect access to reality so again estimology is answering what is so we're we have to question now uh, in somewhat uh, skeptical of what we're seeing and uh, there needs to be rational justifications to as to uh, the conclusions before being accepted. So we're in the realm of philosophical reasoning here. And so it's interesting that if we become more Socratic instead of Platonic, uh, we, we use, uh, we use uh, a, a, a priori logic, pure logic to deduce what is truth because we can't necessarily look at evidences because those evidences might be deceptive uh, or false. Um, our basic relationship to reality is direct. Global skeptical thought doubts are incompatible with everyday experience. Humans are essentially a being, a physical and spiritual being in the world and assumes the role of leadership. Cognition does not define existence, nor does the ability to mentally abstract. Yeah, when we get mechanical thought, it will be able to, um, abs the machine will be able to abstract and it will be able to reason out many uh, steps in its attempt to reach a goal that are logical. And we will call that cognition, but that cognition does not uh, never necessarily uh, prove the existence of a new life form. Without roles of leadership, morality, and law, chaos would uh, clash between spheres of intelligent agents. I think, therefore, I am is incompatible because it does not explain how humans make the sense of everyday things and themselves and their relationships to other humans. Albert Borgman said, The presence of reality in cyberspace is shallow and discontinuous. Continuous experiences, connecting meaning, and aesthetic value are critical things for appreciating man's existence. Uh, continuing on the uh, discussion, technology has been condemned as a spoiler of the garden and yet embraces, on the other hand, as necessary to getting back to nature. Technology distills or amplifies certain interpretive aspects of the natural world. 
I think we're going to see more of that uh, where technology is integrated with the natural world. It's looking at forest uh, uh, densities. Uh, they're using, measuring uh, different uh, environmental elements by different sensors, collecting that data. But it's also in the world of cyborg, it's interesting because uh, I was listening to a TED talk where he was saying that the machine is kind of disconnected from the body in the sense that uh, it can receive inputs from the mind and then react to thoughts the, uh, uh, generated by the brain. But as far as sending signals back to the brain, as far as sensing, that hasn't been something that's been possible in the past, but now they're able to uh, send uh, electrical impulses back to the brain and uh, so that they can have the feeling of sensation. So again, there's this uh, um, technology distilling or being amplified into the natural world. <clears throat> the personal roving uh, presence device, Pro PS, are simple, inexpensive, internet-controlled, untethered telerobots. Pro PS do not exist in the virtual world, they exist in the physical world. And we're starting to see some more of that with uh, remote uh, doctors, um, telepresence, and uh, and so again, that's uh, more technology in the natural world where the digital is interfacing with the natural world. But one that I thought was really interesting where um, a person can move different, uh, make different gestures with hand, and the computer interpret those movements and then using kind of like a stack of Lego or um, actuators push up and you can then create um, movement through the digital world into the physical world. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, the Pro PS are Cubist statutes with rearrangements of the face and arms and separation of the eyes from the gaze. They support gaze, uh, proxematics, body location, gesture, posture, and dialogue. The controller or designer of ProPS discovers the importance of various sensing and action of the channels and behaviors by pulling switches and making those changes. So in 1995, remote web users were acquiring mechanical gaze commanding at six degrees of freedom robotic arms to browse and explore real remote artifacts and tangibles at museums associated with UC, UC Berkeley in, 19, in 1996, space browsers were airborne and they consisted of a helium-filled blimp with several lightweight motors directly connected to the propellers and on board the blimp were a color video camera uh, microphone, speaker, and simple electronics and radio links. The design was small enough to allow navigation down narrow hallways and up stairways into the elevator and through doorways. Blimp behavior and appearances um, made them uh, non-threatening and easy, easily approachable. A user on the internet could pilot the blimp using a small Java applet on the browser. Uh, wireless signals transmitted to the blimp, guiding it up and down, left and right. The pilot observed the real world from the advantage of the blimp. 
while listening to the sounds and conversations with its proximity and converse with groups um, by speaking individually into the microphone. Now it's like, um, I'm thinking that augmented reality and virtual reality are gonna be uh, interesting because we're talking about robots in the garden where they're interacting in the virtual world. But we can take large sections of the virtual world and we can convert it into digital. Uh, we have uh, LiDAR and uh, the phone can take a um, digital scan of its environment and then it can rebuild uh, things digitally in the, the digital world and then we can interact with that digital world. And what's interesting is we don't have any social interactions in that digital world, but that could change as, uh, as more um, intelligent or clever programming allows for increased interaction with the digital avatars. Today's social mach machines are toys with computer cores and capabilities like touch sensing and speech. They can participate in reasonable complex interaction behaviors and are capable of situational activity. The toy response by touching, by talking or playing in encourages the child to use touch to communicate, yet the toy cannot hug back. Eventually toys will be able to hug back or remotely controlled or hugged through the remote control by a parent and be capable of generating familiar voice uh, patterns. We've seen that with, with pets, um, where uh, pet owners can talk to their animals uh, and eventually with um, robots they'll be able to pet their animal and maybe they'll be able to feel uh, sensations of warmth or they'll be able to feel um, uh, the response back through some tactile feedback or some sort of sensing system that is going to re be haptic. So Teletouch connects the simple touch sensors and the haptic actuators together to create Dayomit. Participation a participant in Los Angeles places his hand inside a tube and squeezes, and the participant in New York can feel the pressure. The success of the simple, inexpensive, low-resolution device is promising. So, you know, Robot in the Garden, even though it was a book written a long time ago, um, it still brings in some of the important concepts of how we um, need to think in the 21st century about technology. He states that um, technology will move into the natural world more. And, uh, you know, right now we don't have technology um, constantly bombarding us. We, we think we do, but we, we really don't. Uh, but that's about ready to change. As soon as self-driving cars become a reality, instead of looking out your window at the environment around you, you'll be looking at a digital uh, screen and uh, the car will be driving itself. And that will then, um, uh, that interaction with the physical world will be less. So it's interesting that man will uh, uh, decide or choose to interact less with the physical world and more with the digital. The computer then will compete more for our attention 
and uh, right now we have media streaming uh, and we have internet browsing but the as far as talking with uh, and with AI or interacting cognitively with an intelligent agent we don't have that capability yet now we saw some robots like Sophie that that are capable <clears throat> of summarizing content and that's uh, interesting how that deep learning network is able to do that or she can take sentences or groups of sentences and summarize that into uh, context that that is something um, that summarization capability is something that deep learning is pretty good at and I think we're gonna see new a new form of search engine where uh, we ask them about different content that's fairly complex and the machine will reduce it down into uh, more simplified summarizations and that, I kind of was alluding to that in my discussion last week when I was talking about a better search engine where um, you look at the length of the sentences and then based on the length of the sentences you can uh, look at the complexity of the words <clears throat> and then you look for certain indicators that there might be some explanation or reasoning that's going on uh, as to content that it's explaining why and so you separate your data into two groups uh, why content and how content the how content um, can be used you can determine with reoccurring neural nets or long short uh, memory networks and um, so that they can make predictions on what's coming up next so we when we look at words, we're looking at similarities and we can convert words into vectors and vectors then can be mathematically compared to see what if there are similarities. So we can say, well, how similar is one sentence to another sentence? Or um, we can look at a sentence and break it down into parts of speech, noun, verb, proper noun, um, articles, uh, adjectives, and adverbs. But uh, when we get those parts of speech, that might be telling us what words we want to ignore and what words we want to keep. And then um, using those words we want to keep, then we index those words and vectorize them and then use them for um, giving recommendations. So that's one one area of word processing another one is the summarization where we're looking at sentiment so like we take a um, different uh, y content and we could we could rate it uh, maybe on a scale of one to five as whether the content was positive justification a negative justification uh, neutral uh, slightly negative slightly positive and then we could rate that so we can look at content uh, based on the question whether or not the person is wanting to know uh, negative content as to a uh, justification or if they want or uh, counter argument or wants to hear the positive argument for their question so uh, the two might contrast might be really interesting 
to see <clears throat> the quality of the comparison. Um, search engines are important because they voice recognition is part of the artificial stupidity uh, argument. Um, so yeah, the you know the when you look at Spike, um, the Spike processors. I was looking at that on um, Synapsis and uh, True North. Um, how they've gone from a 256-bit uh, neuron chip, and now they're building huge arrays of neurons where the neurons can pass between each other in synapses. Um, and so they're creating uh, neurons and synapses in the artificial world, and they're up to 5 billion neurons. And the spike chip can do it can be processing multiple algorithms simultaneously uh, it can do things like follow a pattern recognize voice process images um, and so they're finding areas where the new spike chip can uh, bypass certain image processing to the digital and it can go straight to the spike and it can then process the digital voice is the same way <clears throat> it can take signals and then uh, translate that into uh, voice in using that and so the reason the advantage of the spike chip is it uses less power and uh, and uh, it's going to find lots of applications and I know IBM is is looking at that for the consumer side and so we're going to see more more um, interactions with the devices they're not going to be uh, dumb devices. Siri is was a big step forward, forward, but uh, uh, there's going to be a lot more processing in the future uh, with AI.